passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to episode four of Cruel Summer, our retrospective look at the uh, G1 Tournament Climax Finals from 1991 to 2018. This is episode four, and so we're covering 1994, and uh, my special guest on this particular episode is someone most of you might be familiar with if you watch New Japan Pro Wrestling. He is part of the English commentary team, and uh, his name is is Mavs Gillis. Mavs, how are you today? I'm good, man. It's uh, great to be on the podcast with you and great to be talking about the G1. Yeah, and so you are actually, you know, someone who has called New Japan Pro Wrestling uh, in recent times at Cork and Hall. And have you been to other buildings? I can't recall off the top of my head, like, how many shows you've done for, for, the, for New Japan. Right now, the only places I have called uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling... I've got to call um, four sh- four cards from Corican Hall, and two of the World Tag League matches I called from uh, off the monitor from Sackville, Nova Scotia. So after uh, high school basketball coverage we did, I went back to our TV studio at one in the morning and sat down in Sackville, Nova Scotia, and called New Japan Pro Wrestling. Off the That's off incredible. my laptop. So those are the only two places I've got to call New Japan Pro Wrestling from so far. But we're still looking to add to that, and uh, hopefully we're going to be adding to it real soon. Do you have a bucket list of venues you would like to like do a commentary from? Uh, Budokan would be really nice. And um, there, what I, there was a building on the World Tag Tour, the World Tag League, that had beautiful stained glass. Ah. Kyoto KBS Hall. Yes, I would love, I would love to go and be in that building just to, just to see the the majesty of professional wrestling with that as the backdrop, and I'd also want to go and uh, I want to be in Sapporo. I want to call from Sapporo, and be there in the winter so I can experience the northern Japan winter and compare it to the Nova Scotia winter. See, I've never been to like Hokkaido Prefecture, okay. uh, summer or winter. But many people tell me like like I would feel at home since I'm uh, I'm from Toronto. Mm-hmm. So you know that, that that the winters in Toronto would probably be akin to uh, winters in the Hokkaido area. Like, but where where exactly in Canada are you from? Because you like me are a Canadian. I'm on the east coast in Nova Scotia, so in the Maritimes, right on the Atlantic Ocean. 
And I, I've been to, I was up in Hokkaido two summers ago with the girlfriend. She's from Sapporo. And I noticed very quickly how the roads and the curbs all resembled something like in Nova Scotia due to the amount of snow and the snow plowing and the sand and the salt. It, you, you could tell that these are roads that go through winter. Yeah, I, I think the engineering of like roads and stuff in Japan is, is pretty top notch. Mm-hmm. That's just my impression. Way better than Canada because like I'm, I'm used to like potholes, 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 potholes. I rarely have, if ever, experienced potholes in Japan. Yeah. Uh, but getting back to talk back to wrestling, I want to get people up to speed on you. I want to let them know like what's your background as a fan of professional wrestling now? As a fan of pro wrestling, it started in as a kid watching Atlantic Grand Prix pro wrestling. Um, after that, Vince and the WWF began running their uh, programming in Atlantic Canada. So, of course, there was Hulkamania, and everyone was, you know, keyed in on that. But it wasn't until the around 1990 where WW, uh, WWF started to really. Uh, run hard in Atlantic Canada and become the uh, become the promotion to watch. So that was kind of the the kickoff for me. I was always a lifelong million dollar man Ted DiBiase fan. I don't know what that says about me as a kid that I was a big fan of Ted DiBiase, but I picked a great one because DiBiase's in the Hall of Fame. So from from there, just wrestling's always been been part of my passions. My friends have been wrestling fans. People I've worked with have been wrestling fans. Uh, wrestling's played a, a big part in my life. And as far as uh, pro rest with Japanese professional wrestling, it was, you know, the 90s we would see Liger in WCW. You'd see Chono. You would see uh, Hakushi coming over to, w, to WWF. And one of the my earliest kind of memories of, of uh, Japanese pro wrestling was when Hakushi worked a host show against in my hometown, and I saw him without the tattoos, without the stickers, and it blew my mind because I was, for sure, those were those were shoots tattoos that couldn't. There's no way he could put those all over his body every night, and uh, he didn't. He just didn't have the tattoos. But yeah, so when it can't when it comes to Japanese pro wrestling, the, the joke was we'd only see the big matches in the magazines we thought that every Japanese professional wrestling match needed to have a trophy outside the ring. So even jobber matches would have trophies. Um, <laughs> until, so that was, uh, that was just the early part of it. Coming over to get really involved in, in New Japan, I have to give a lot of credit to Omega and Okada as raising the flag of you need to really pay attention to what's going on in Japanese pro wrestling right now. And after that, I, I became, I became hooked, subscribed to new Japan world. And I've been following ever since I, I'll give a lot of credit to, um, to show buckle and his videos, um, for kind of giving me a good background and a good basics of what I can expect. And, what to watch for with uh, New Japan, and that was that's kind of how the 
the, the fandom began for me. Uh, how did you get involved with New Japan as a commentator? So uh, to go to commentary, I was in Japan for uh, my, my second time in Japan. You know, I said my, my girlfriend is Japanese. We met in Nova Scotia. I was over visiting her. And I was at the, I was, I, I, I was just, President May was doing his standard meet and greet. He'd only been on the job a month out front. I heard when it comes to uh, being a visitor in Japan, if you see a line, get in it. So I did. I got in the line to get my photo taken with uh, Harold May. Shook his hand, had a nice, you know, 30-second generic conversation with him. But the next, uh, it was two days later, I just, I reached out by email, just a shot in the dark email to him to explain a little bit more about myself, how I'm a, I've been a sports commentator in, in Canada for about 15 to 20 years. Um, working in TV and sent him a demo and my demo was set to the music of uh, to Tanahashi's theme. Joke being, I picked Tanahashi's theme because it worked well with the video and I thought, well, New Japan's never in a lifetime going to see this, so it's not like they're going to sue me for copyright infringement. Lo and behold, it's the first thing they saw. A couple weeks pass. I'm a boat to head back to Canada. I'm at Narita Airport. I've gone through security. I've gone through customs. There's no more duty-free shopping. I'm walking to the gate when my phone buzzes, and it's a uh, email response from Harold May saying, "Hey, sorry for the lateness on the reply. I." Like your tape, I'm going to San Francisco for the G1 uh, USA tour, but leave it with me and send me a resume. We'll see what we can do. So I had to sit still on a plane for 12 and a half hours after receiving that email, which was extremely tough. Every emotion going through me. Get back, get over the jet lag, email him, send him my resume, wait a little longer, not really hearing, you know, don't hear anything for a month, and then all of a sudden... Boom, we're going to get you in touch with uh, Michael Craven. He's general manager of the International Department, general manager of New Japan. And he's going to uh, be the one kind of guiding you through this. He was extremely helpful. He was um, really, really helped me get uh, my foot in the door. We did a demo of calling a match. I picked Ishii versus Omega from the G1. It was a condensed, great, hard-hitting match. With a great story. Uh, that was the match I wanted to call. We called that a few times. Sent a demo. And a week later. I receive an email. I was sitting at, at work. Just getting ready for a soccer telecast. In a, a day or two. And I got an email saying. We want you to come to New Japan. To We're going to bring you to Tokyo. To call some matches. That's an amazing story. So it's, it's kind of a really a good lesson for people. Like if you really want to kind of get these kinds of opportunities it it does not hurt to no. just like cold send something yeah you you have a 50 50 chance they're either, either gonna look at it 
and like it, or they're not going to look at it, or they're going to look at it and not like it. It it, so. it literally was just, I am going to send this email out into the world and hope for the best. Now, in the, the day before I received a response from Harold May and flying back to Canada, we were in, the girlfriend and I were in Rapongi. We had just finished breakfast. The TV Asai building. Am I saying that right? Asai? Asai? Asai, yeah. Asai. Asai there yeah. we go. I got to get that right. I pointed at the building in the distance because I could see it. I know they own 10% of New Japan Pro Wrestling. I told her this time next year, I'm going to be working out of that building. She kind of, she, she chuckled at it. And then the next day, I received an email from uh, Harold May. That's so awesome. It's kind of like it's a secret. Um, had to keep it quiet for a couple months because I didn't want anything to, to kind of to blow up in my face. Eastlink, where I work now and still work, extremely supportive, and they know how much it means to me. They backed it 110%. They've given me space to practice at uh, in Nova Scotia. They've given me tips. They've given me all the support they can. Got on a plane. Flew out, called the matches with Lanny Poffo, and uh, shocked a lot of people, I think. And the first, that, now, here's the, the, the truth. That first Young Lion match on October 26 is the first ever wrestling match I called in my life. Well, I got to say, like, I tuned in because uh, usually I watch Japanese commentary because traditionally that's what I'm used to like listening to when I'm watching Japanese wrestling, but I thought, okay, you know, like I'm always trying to give the commentary, the English commentary team a chance. I'll be honest. It's not always my favorite, like depending on the combination of the personalities involved, but I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to this new guy. Who's this guy? He's from Canada. Okay. I'll give him a chance. That's, that would be you. And then Lanny Poffo, I was like, okay, that's, that's an interesting choice. Let's see what this is going to be like. Uh, I do have to ask you, I'm not going to say anything. I did. I did really enjoy your commentary, I thought for a first-timer, uh, you did a really good job. I thought you knew your history, you knew all the wrestlers, you knew their, their, their stories, and I thought you quitted yourself very well. And, and for, you know, for Lanny Poffo, I thought he did the, the best job he could, I think, given the circumstances like, of probably not being that familiar with the product himself. Uh, but I do want to ask you, when did you find out that you'd be working with the genius, Lanny Poffo? I found out it was about three weeks before, and or actually, no, it was a month before. I was originally supposed to come in in mid-October, and they asked, Michael Craven asked if I would go, come in the, the last week of October because he wanted to pair me up with Lanny Poffo. And I jumped at that opportunity because, yeah, it's, it's the genius. It's Lanny Poffo. It's Randy's little brother. And... Yeah, he's got wrestling history. I I had to, of course. So I was extremely excited to to work with Lanny, and it was it was an experience. It was a lot of fun uh, hanging out, not just you know, not just commentating with Lanny, but being around Tokyo and uh, guiding him around uh, around Japan was a lot of fun for the days that we uh, we were together. Uh, made sure that he saw some really cool sights in uh, in Tokyo. Made sure he got like because we only got. We were not staying at Tokyo Dome Hotel that uh, that trip. We were on the other on the west side of of the city, so I made sure to take him through the subways, 
and to the uh, Tudican shop in Sudobashi. He got to sign the wall. He met Ricky Dozan's widow. We got to see Tokyo Dome. I went up to, uh, went, went all around. The only place we didn't get to was Ribeiro's, and we were on our way until I found out it was closed that day. You know, he probably could have got a jacket. Oh, I know. That was the, that was the whole plan. I, I, I plotted out the perfect pro wrestling day for him because I wanted to make sure he had that experience, and I didn't tell him anything of the day. I, I went into, I knocked on the on his hotel room, and said, "Lanny, how are your knees? And do you trust me?" And he gave me a weird look. I said, "Trust me. You you come with me, and I'm going to show you the sights, and bring Randy." And by that I meant bring his Randy Savage's Hall of Fame ring. So we went around. And uh, he 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 got uh, he allowed he got the people at the New Japan shop got to get their photos taken with Randy Savage's Hall of Fame ring, and he got to talk with uh, Ricky Dozan's widow as well at there and and share the story of meeting her uh, meeting her husband when he was a young boy and when he came over to to train in in the in America. So that was uh, it was really a, a great experience and it was fun to. Uh, it was fun to give that to Lanny. That's an amazing story. I'm really glad, at the very least, that you know Lanny Poffo got to enjoy Japan, and it did sound like on commentary that that he enjoyed like his day trips, uh, hang out with you in Tokyo. So that's amazing. Uh, but let's let's move on. Let's get to our topic for today, which is the 1994 G1 Climax Finals. Uh, and get, let's get a bit of a background on the tournament itself. So the 1994 G1 Climax was held from August 3rd to August 7th. And this is the second year in a row, I believe, they, they had those dates. Um, after two years, 92 and 93 had a single elimination format. We returned back to the round-robin league format. And the, the this league consisted of two blocks of six wrestlers. A block consisted of Masahiro Chono, Keishi Muto, Riki Choshu, Yoshiaki Yatsu, uh, Yoshiwaki Fujiwara, and Osama Kido. B block consisted of Power Warrior, Hiroshi Hase, Shinya Hashimoto, Tatsumi Fujinami, Shiro Koshinaka, and Takayuki Izuka, who obviously just retired a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a couple of notes about our outside participants. And that, by that, I mean like the wrestlers who weren't affiliated with New Japan Pro Wrestling. One was Yoshaki Fujiwara, who was making his second appearance in the G1. Uh, and he came, of course, from Pro Wrestling. Fujiwara Gumi, I think, was the name of his promotion. And Yoshiaki Yatsu was actually originally a New Japan wrestler and affiliated with Riki Choshu, but then jumped to All Japan in 84 when Choshu did the, you know, he had his falling out with New Japan, took everyone over to Baba's All Japan, including Yatsu. And then Yatsu kind of just stayed there while Choshu came back and uh, hooked up, I believe, with uh, different members like Jumbo and Tenru. And it's with Tenru that he joined something that eventually morphed into the Social Progress Wrestling Federation, which, you know, like the way the way my politics lean, that's like, oh, I, I totally support a, a wrestling federation called Social Progress. <laughs> so <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a very kind of la- like, stack, I feel it's a stacked you know, tournament from these participants. What do you think, Maps? Yeah, it, it's, I mean, you've got a who's who. And as you say, it's, you've got mid-90s, uh, 
New Japan, and Inoki's just starting to wrap things up in ring as a as a full timer. And you've got this is like when I look at at this match, and you think about the aftermath that 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 comes from it. It really is a launching ground for these for these two guys, and there's so much, like I mean, so much talent with Fujinami and the history with and Chozu and those guys. So it is a it is a pretty stacked G one, and it's condensed over as you say five days. Yeah, and uh, so I want to play the age game with you uh, with our two participants who are uh, Masahiro Chano and. Power Warrior. Uh, whatever became a Power Warrior, did he ever do anything else in the business, Mavs? I, I don't. I don't. I don't know. I, I know he showed up every once in a while when the uh, Road Warriors would run uh, would run the Tokyo Dome. But Power Warrior, yeah, he uh, he just uh, he would just disappear from time to time, or he would have a five minute chop battle with Kento Kobashi in uh, pro wrestling uh, in pro wrestling. No. Yeah, just. Of course, we're joking here. If, for those yeah. who don't know, Power Warrior is is one of the personas of Kensuke Sasaki, uh, a true pro res legend. Uh, so let's let's play the age game. Uh, how old is Masahiro Chano in August of 1994? 94, I will say, ooh, um, 28. Uh, close. He's 30 years old at okay. this point. And how about uh, Power Warrior? How old is he in August of? Power Warrior, um, thirty-two. Yeah, he's actually younger than okay. Uh, Chono. Okay, twenty-seven. Close. He's he's twenty-eight years old. So your guess for Chono was actually was uh, Power uh, Warrior's okay. age. So okay, so we basically we have like I I would not say this is the the the, the pinnacle of or the peak of Kensuke's career. That would come, I'd say, like maybe in the next five years. I'd say his age from where he's like 32 to like 35, 36 is like his peak period where he's left New Japan and he's like working freelance for All Japan, for NOAA, for tons of other companies. And he's bringing along his protege, Katsuhiko Nakajima at this point, who's around 15, 16, 17 years old in this period. It's an amazing time for uh, in his career. Uh, Chono, I think, has, like, hitting his peak. This is just before, I think, he turns into, like, you know, you know, Sprocket's German leather fetish dude yeah. character that he eventually becomes for the rest of his career. He's still wearing, like, the Capri pants, I, was, I like to call them. He's still doing, like, the, you know, the, the, the student of Luthez kind of gimmick. So, I, I, I don't know. Like, for me, like, I think 93, for me, was 92, 93 is my favorite period of Masahiro Chono. Uh, do you have like a highlight of Chono's career for yourself, Mavs? For Chono, I mean, I I I just remember NWO Chono. That is the the Chono that jumps out at me because I I for the most of for growing up, I'm seeing Chono as represented in WCW and with the New World Order, and then you go to Japan and you see. Chono being the leader of NWO Japan, and you realize just how how big that that uh, angle and faction became. Yeah, and he had the best entrance music of anyone in Japan, I think, at that point. 
like uh, I forget what's the name of the song, some Black Symphony or something like that. I think it's the name of it. Uh, I'm sure people on Twitter are gonna be like, "No, it's called this, you idiot." But we'll, you know, we'll save that for for the Twitterverse. Uh, so let's talk about Chono's uh, uh, path to the finals. So uh, during the tournament, he beat uh, Fujiwara, he beat Kido, he beat Muto, and he beat Yatsu, uh, and he lost to Choshu. Uh, for Power Warrior, he beat Hase. He beat Izuka and he beat Koshinaka and he drew with Shin Hashimoto and lost to Fujinami. So it's kind of like this this theme of like the, the generation of Choshu and Fujinami are the ones these guys can't beat right now. Yeah, it's just it's that old guard that is still making sure that they, I, I guess you, you need to give them some something to aspire to and something for them to get over the over the top. And so that leads us to the finals, which were held at uh, Ryogoku Kokugikan, a.k.a. Sumo Hall, on August 7th. And so let's get into the meat of this match. And it starts off really hot right away. Uh, Chono just waylays uh, Power Warrior with a Yakuza kick. And then, you know, Power Warrior fires back with a stiff clothesline. And a minute in, basically, and the heat and humidity has already started to peel off Power Warrior's face paint. Like, it did not last long in the, the temperature and humidity of Sumo Hall, which I can personally attest to from personal experience, is really freaking hot in there. Face paint was gone five minutes in, and I think you, even before they touch, you start to see it peeling off of Power Warrior. And I, I, love, the, I, I love the look of Power Warrior because it looks as if it's Ultimate Warrior joining the Legion of Doom. And in 94, as a big mark, you'd have to love that as a kid. Yeah, I think like one thing that's interesting that we should talk about Power Warrior is that the reason Kensuke Sasaki became this character was because of his partnership with Road Warrior Hawk, who had left the WBF at this point, and Animal stayed behind. Animal stayed behind to team with, I believe it was Crush initially, and then Hawk went to New Japan and he formed a tag team called the Hellraisers. Yeah, Hawk. Kensuke Sasaki. Hawk just he just jumped after SummerSlam, I believe it was. He just he just dropped off the face of the earth and then ended up in New Japan. And he formed like this team that really I think elevated. Kensuke Sasaki to a large degree, and I think got him noticed internationally more in, in, in a like in a way that maybe not just wrestling as himself would have done at that point in his career. Uh, so we're talking about the face paint is peeling off, and at this point you'll notice like that Chono has his one of his shoulders taped up, and Power Warrior basically says to Chono, "Hey, my face paint is coming off. You take off that shoulder tape." And then Chono's like, "Okay," and he rips off his shoulder tape, and then it's like it seems like a fair fight. No more face paint. No more shoulder tape. Let's get it on. I loved it. I absolutely loved when the you see Chono actively deciding, all right, I, I don't need the tape to keep my shoulder together. I'm taking this off, and we're going for it. And the crowd absolutely eats it up. They are so behind Masahiro Chono in this match, and that is just the start of the build towards them solidly getting behind Chono. 
Yeah, and you know, in this build, we see them like give each other backdrop back suplexes that neither of them sell up; they just pop up. Uh, I gotta say, this did not feel, and I'll talk about this maybe a bit more later. Is that it did not feel like a wrestling match; it felt like a fight between these two. You'll see them like exchange a lot of strikes in this match, not not really exchanging holds that much. Uh, you know, like Chono with his punches and kicks, and Warrior coming back with repeated clotheslines, which I gotta say. If I'm Chono, I'm I'm not enjoying the G1 so far. No, know? but but I love Chono getting up and calling calling for the Mon because of course it's you know it's it is it's fighting spirit and Chono taking lariat after lariat and it's it's just a struggle for him to not not collapse from it and he's he's just landing on it you know he, he's taking a knee taking a knee and. And trying his hardest not to fall flat on his back after taking these lariats, and there's there's one thing that with the the, the G1 climax, and I know on, on New Japan World, you you only I believe it's only the ninety it's only the final that's on there if I'm not mistaken because I was looking for I was looking for other other stuff. Am I am I correct in saying that it was only the final? I think they got they made a point of getting all the finals up, and they're probably still working on the other um, matches. But I, I don't know if they filmed every match from like from every show because this would be at a time where they're you know, they're doing house shows and stuff. I, I'm not sure how far the the, the G1 like toured. Mm-hmm. I think most of it stayed in Tokyo, um, so I, I'm not sure like what was filmed and what wasn't, and what's up on New Japan world at this point i definitely all the finals are because i i did i made sure that people could watch these on new japan world for for me and and it's i don't know if this is this might be lost in the storytelling of it because of you know if you just watch the the g1 climax final and you would compare it you talked about how it was just a fight this is the end of a war of attrition in that it's it's a round robin tournament going on August third to the seventh. In the current day of, of of G1 wrestling, that is is maybe three or four matches of your of your tour for the G1. This is the entire G1, and on that night, these guys had already wrestled. So you're seeing two guys going out and really just. Fighting through whatever they have they have uh, accumulated in damage over the last four or five days, and this is the final match that you have here. I think because uh, it's not showing that whole G one that that part of it might be lost in the translation of of what these two guys are going through. I, I tend to feel that there was like a bigger story between these two individuals, like between Chano and Power Warrior as kind of like, you know, vying for, a, you know, getting higher on the roster, higher on the card. Uh, and that this is like, they're, 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 this is another chapter in their, like, their feud with each other. Uh, you definitely get that, like, with Chono and Rick Rude. Like, you didn't get that. They were, these were two guys who were, like, trying to become the NWA World Heavyweight Champion in that tournament. With Chono and Mudo, you saw, like, two guys who were rivals, but they weren't. They, they had a wrestling match still. You know what I mean? This one, I just felt like they they're not wanting they're not interested in her having a wrestling match. They're having interested in having a fight and in beating each other to 
decisively show like I'm better than you, I'm better than you, but not become friends afterwards. No, um, I... and, and so like I I found I found that like an interesting aspect of this particular match because like I I had watched ninety one, ninety two, ninety three, and and the, the match with Fujinami and Hase was very much a wrestling match still. Um, so this I felt was really interesting change of like dynamic and pace from the previous years. Well, and, and yeah, and when you, they, they set the tone right off the top with how much power is going to be in the strikes. Yeah. Uh, at some point, uh, Power Warrior locks in this horrible, horrible looking chin lock that looks like he's hugging Masahiro Chono. Like, and I half expected like him to like whisper in his ear, I love you, Masahiro <laughs> He didn't do that, unfortunately. Um, and then from there, we get back to the strike exchange. You see uh, Chono hitting uh, Warrior with lots of slaps, and then Warrior just firing back with uh, his trademark uh, chops to the chest. And uh, yeah, this and like I said, this feels like more like a fight, not yeah. a wrestling match. And uh, at some point, Chono rolls outside after being hit with a backdrop suplex, a backdrop suplex, and gets hit with a clothesline and a shitty bulldog on the outside. Like I wasn't sure exactly what you know. Power Warrior did to Chono, but it's like, oh, he's doing his like face first bulldog to him, but it didn't look very good. No, and I think even when they're outside, it looked like there was a point where Chono got thrown into a camera, uh, a camera person. Well, it wouldn't be surprising. There's so many at this point. Yeah, in '94 out there, <laughs> compared to now, like there's still a lot of camera camera people taking pictures for for publications, but in '94 it was it was. I think maybe triple the amount of publications sending photographers to cover wrestling events, well, that, especially like the G1 Climax. That, that's all we got to see of most of them. So, uh, yeah, so Chono, uh, uh, you know, responds to being Bulldog outside by uh, driving uh, Warrior into a ring post. Uh, Warrior uh, slaps Chono really hard in the face. Chono no-sells it, gets in his face, and start, and this is the best part. Like, he starts rubbing his goatee. Into, into Power Warrior's eyes. I was like, that's got to suck more than getting like slapped really hard in the face. Yeah, if you give it, if you give someone their, your all and all of a sudden they just come back and put their goatee in your face, that has to be demoralizing. On, on, on an offshoot of something, did you happen to see this week that Russian slap fighting that was going around on the internet? I did. That was the greatest thing I've seen all week, I have to say. That, um... Was disturbing, but you know what? Chono would fit in quite well there. Uh, who else would fit in? Maybe Minoru Suzuki. Yeah, Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki should uh, go in there and join the Russian face slapping contest. The, which I what was the prize money for that? I not enough. Um, Tenzan would get disqualified because he would use both his hands. He'd go into the chops and wouldn't be able to. He wouldn't be able to figure out the the face slapping part of it. But uh, yeah, just I, do do his like hissing chops, right? Yeah, the hissing chops. But no, that. So, but yeah, back to ninety four. <laughs> back to ninety four. No, that's fine. Uh, so let's. Where, where am I here? Uh, yeah. So then, at this point, um, a Warrior hits a big superplex from the top rope. Uh, then two stiff clotheslines and a folding powerbomb for a two count. So yeah. it's at this point, I know now. That this match is now kicking to the to the higher gear. We're, we're reaching the crescendo of the match. Um, Chono uh, fires back with uh, a Yakuza kick. I think maybe the second one of this match, maybe. 
and then turns it into his first, I think, STF. And which is interesting because like later on, you'll see like Chono basically what you know, like we say about Kenny Omega, like he he um spams his V trigger knee strike. Chono was very well known for like later on just spamming his Yakuza kicks because he, he was actually, you know, really limited what he could do due to the neck injury. He suffered in a match against Stone Cold Steve Austin. Um, but, and also like he would basically his match consisted of, uh, what a chin lock, Yakuza kick and the STF at varying points in a match with very little variance of other moves thrown in there. So it was kind of interesting at this point in his career, he's not like overly using the Yakuza kick. He's not overly using the STF until it actually makes sense to try to try to finish off his opponent at this point. Yeah. And, and this sequence as we're going into of the trading submissions and getting for out of out of one rope break into the other submission, rope break into the other submission, just and you used the best word, crescendo. That's exactly what this was building up until until we get the bell. Yeah, and like so we're talking about you're talking about like Chono's uh and, and Power Warrior trading uh, submission hold. So Chono's submission hold is the STF. And then Warrior's uh, submission hold is, is has the best name for submission hold, the Stranglehold Gamma, which is such a great name. And so at some point, he, he tries to, to get the Gamma get back on to Chono, but he, he completely fucks it up. And then I can hear the Japanese commentary team saying, oh, this is the beta version of Stranglehold Beta. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if that's actually a thing, if there's actually a stranglehold beta, but God bless that commentator for like just being a complete pro and saying that 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 this this really crappy looking version of Gamma is actually called the beta. And though and thankfully, you know, Sasake was able to, uh, you know, fix it and get the actual Gamma hold back onto. So, <laughs> yeah, what well, yeah, you, you call what you see on the monitor. So the was the beta where uh, where. Uh... Power Warrior was sitting on his head. I think so. Yeah. Was that was that the beta? Was was that not the gamma? That was the beta. The gamma is like you see him actually wrenching the neck. The arm. He's got he's got yeah. like one of the arms trapped. It's, it's a very hard move to describe, but when it looks good, that's the gamma. When it looks like crap, that's the beta. It's it's good to have an out like that though. Ah, no, it, yeah. was, it was just the beta. It wasn't the gamma. It wasn't the gamma. It was the beta? The crappy looking version. It's yeah. the beta. If it, the good looking version. Can you beta. imagine post match comments? Was that yeah, but next time when I hit that gamma, not the beta. You only got the beta, but next time the gamma, that's right there. That's solid booking. I think he should have like I think Sake should have just gone full on with it and, and said, I'm gonna have an Epsilon version. I'm gonna have uh I'm gonna have the Zeta. You can't escape the Zeta. That's the final solution, you know. To uh, stranglehold Zeta is going <laughs> to kill you. It's going to murder you in the ring, and no one wants to be hit with that. I don't know. You you have to think of like this kind of uh, these kind of calls in the in the future when you're calling a New Japan match, and maybe one of the wrestlers in the ring doesn't uh, successfully apply or hit one of their signature moves. If I if you someone it, hits it at fifty percent, I have to come up with the beta. Yeah, you have to come up like that's the uh, that's the uh, uh, Texas Cloverleaf beta. I love it. I love it. We just came up the the high fly beta. Okay, if you ever use that, right, or like some like beta version, gamma version, 
you, you do have to credit me for this. Of course, of on, course. On air. Of course, I will. On air, on air, I will credit you on that for sure. The fact, while, I mean, the fact that I got with a, my old co-host, I, I got, I got a what bar into a New Japan Pro Wrestling um, broadcast. I will, I will definitely credit uh, the beta call to WH Park. Incredible! I'm, I'm, I'm so looking forward to that. I, I gotta say, but you have to do it. You have to make sure that Chris is there. Okay, my old show partner has to. Be there yes. As well. I, I want to hear what he says. I, I will, I will, you know, Chris will just be in shock that I somehow pulled that out. Maybe not. Maybe not. Like, no, you're right. Pretty good on his feet too, you know. So let, let's get back to the match. We're almost done because, like you said, we're in the crescendo of this match. Yeah. Um, so Chono escapes the uh, the beta that was turned to the gamma, and he gets his own STF onto onto Warrior, and it's. There's a rope break, so it's not the end of the match. At this point, Chono hits two Yakuza kicks and then kills Warrior. Uh, no, uh, sorry, tells Warrior to hit him back. And I'm sure Chono immediately regrets this because Power Warrior wallops him. And I have this in my notes. He wallops him with one of the stiffest clotheslines I've ever seen in my life. He follows that up by two more uh, uh, clotheslines for a two count. And then finally, uh, Chono somehow rallies back, hits him with a second rope DDT, and applies the STF for the win at twenty-one fifty-one. Yep, and and as we talked about, Chono just calling for the lariats and taking Sasuke's best shots, just taking his best shots, even as tough as they were, and then getting the two count right into the STF and getting the win, it's a great finish. So overall, what did you think about this match, Matt? Overall, this is a match that, again, I talked. we talked earlier. With the total storyline of the War of Attrition, it makes sense for when you look at it as a G1 Climax final, Compared to the G, the it's it's tough because you have that term G one climax final next to it, and automatically you're comparing it to the climax finals that we have seen in the past. It's it's tough to live up to that expectation. I did love I did love how hard hitting it was, and I enjoyed watching Chono and Sasuke trade submission holds. And fight to the ropes, fight to the ropes. But I, I don't know if that's the kind of match I would expect out of these two guys. I would, I'd want to see, I'd want to see Lariat versus Yakuza kick. I want to see power moves from these guys. I don't know about about just seeing submission hold to submission hold, submission hold. That said, it 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 was you know it was a G one climax final and. Chono gets his uh, third of his five G1 climaxes on his way to becoming Mr. August and Mr. G1. That's right. Uh, this is his third G1. Um, for me, I really like the match. I, I don't think I would rate it higher than the 91 Muto Chono one. I think for me, it goes from, it pretty much goes in order chronologically mm-hmm. of like how much I like them. 91, 92, Chono versus Rude, um, Hase versus Fujinami. And then this match, I, I, I felt it's not Kensuke at his best. He's he's doing well, 
I, I think he's still finding his comfort level as a singles player because at the at this point he's still mainly like coming off of like successful tag teams with Hase with uh, uh, Road Warrior Hawk, and then he's also like doing shots over in WCW, but nothing like where he's headlining like the G one climax finals at sumo hall so like i still think he's kind of finding his sea legs as it were as a main event player it's not until later that i think we're gonna see like the kensuke that we come to grow and love as like this powerhouse warrior that this powerhouse wrestler that just like murders people with clotheslines with stranglehold gamma beta zeta whatever and mm-hmm. like it, northern lights bombs and all that's that all that good stuff um but yeah it's it's a good match i i don't think it's like uh, as high as 91, but it's it's a nice win for Chono. I think it's it's a good way to establish himself as kind of like this gatekeeper of his generation of like the three musketeers are still like just a little bit under uh, Chono, Choshu and, and Fujinami, but they're definitely a, a, above like everyone else in the company. And this kind of, this match kind of just kind of put the, uh, the exclamation point on, uh, on that sentence. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So like, um, at this point, you know, like uh, the G1 Climax winner does get a title shot and Chono would cash in his title shot, not at, you know, at the January 4th Tokyo Dome show the, the following year, but he would do it on September 27th at Osaka Joe Hall against Shinya Hashimoto in a match that Hashimoto won to retain the IWGP heavyweight title. Yeah, but and then Power Warrior goes on and uh, gets a title shot of his own and that that sparks the Chono that we've come to know throughout the years. You mean a leather fetish Chono? Yeah, leather <laughs> leather fetish Chono. The well, hey, the Chono that's on so much advertising, and you know, sunglasses Chono is the Chono that we all know and love now. Yeah, I mean, he's he's got his own you know his own clothing brand, uh, Artistrist. Which you know, I've walked by the store a really? couple of times when I've been in Tokyo. Yeah, I can't remember what area is. This was like maybe seven years ago. Okay, uh, but I, I've walked by. There is a store. I think if you look it up on Google, you can see it. So I, I yeah, you can walk by there. You can walk by Minoru Suzuki's clothing store in Tokyo. You can go to Toshiaki Kawada's ramen restaurant, uh, Mr. Matsunaga's steak restaurant. There's lots of places I, that I, are run by wrestlers. I've been to I've been to Pile Driver twice. First time I went to Pile Driver, I wasn't quite sure what to make of it. Second time, I went there and um, Rocky. What's oh, what's Rocky's last name? Romero. Uh, no, not Rocky Romero. The other Rocky from uh, DDT, I believe. Or oh, uh, who who does the full Rocky Balboa gimmick? Oh, was it Kawamura? Yeah, he was working there, and thankfully. He was able to kind of explain to me what was going on with the Great Pirate Festival, so that I uh, I figured out more about it. I I could hardly I you know it's as I say I I didn't know the uh, really how to read Japanese, and I still don't know how to read Japanese. But with all the advertisements there, he explained it to me, and I ended up at Yokohama for Minoru Suzuki's 30th anniversary of the Great Pirate Festival. And I got to see. Suzuki and Okada in the rain. Uh, oh, and, and, how was that, by the way? Um, incredible, absolutely no, I mean, incredible, because it felt like, like, you'll see photos and they'll talk about matches in baseball fields back when in the '30s and the '40s, 
and, and the twenties like selling out Wrigley Wrigley Field to come watch a wrestling match. That's what that's kind of the atmosphere it felt like because we're all on the ground watching the match that's going on uh, ahead of us. So we're everyone's straining their neck trying to see it. We're looking up at the at the at the video board. The rain's pouring down. The whole the whole afternoon was a blast. Of course, it was a big big festival devoted to Minoru Suzuki. So there was all kinds of fishing, all kinds of socks. Um, what else was it like? Uh, what's her name? The the singer. Ayumi. Ayumi. She. Uh, I forget her last name. She was uh, Ayumi. Tana, not Tana. Um, Nakamura. Yeah, Ayumi Nakamura. That's that's where it is. Uh, she was there. She performed. She was selling CDs. It was a fantastic tribute to Minoru Suzuki and his match against Okada that went the 30 minutes was 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 great to see, especially because these guys wrestled in the pouring rain and didn't didn't take the foot off the gas. So at no point were you like, God, I, I, I absolutely hate being in this rain. Well, that at no point. During the event was I like, God, I hate being in this rain. When I got on the subway from the air-conditioned subway from Yokohama back into uh, back into uh, onto the meter line, I was freezing. And that's when I was like, God, I hate this rain. And then afterwards, I pulled my passport out of my bag and I took a look at it. And I thought, that doesn't look right. All the ink from my photo on my passport had ran, had ran. So really? I, looked, I looked like a ghost in my passport. We went to the Canadian embassy and said, guys, is this going to be okay to fly? They looked at it and said, we don't know. You better check with Air Canada. So the next day, went to Canada to check with Air Canada. And they said, we don't know. You'll have to wait until your flight. Better check with the embassy. And the next day, went back to the Canadian embassy. And they said, well, it's too late for you to get any emergency paperwork. Best of luck to you. And that was the, uh, the fear that was in my stomach of going to uh, Narita the next day with my passport that was uh, ruined uh, from the Minoru Suzuki. The free show in Yokohama, which ended up costing me about... Two hundred twenty dollars to get my passport fixed. Okay, so you but did you have a problem? No, getting onto your airplane. No, no, I and trust me, uh, I got through security and twenty minutes later, twenty minutes later, I got an email and all the problems in the world were gone. Yes. Okay. So this is where you get the yeah. mail from. But yeah, no, uh, President I, May. I've been to. Uh, I I was at Pile Driver, and uh, it's a really cool shop. I was hoping to see Suzuki. I was there on his birthday, but no, there was no Minoru Suzuki to be found. That said, I would not well, make I wouldn't make eye contact. Well, maybe one day you'll be in in Japan. You'll have a free day. I'll have a free day. We'll do a wrestling tour Dude, of the of Tokyo. I am I am down for that. I've been as I said I've I've been a couple places, but I'm sure you've got uh, you've got a list of a, of some other spots where I wouldn't even know where I want to get to Hamoming Mask. Am I saying that right? Yes, I think so. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been there myself either. I, I really want to get there, um, but yeah, the place up in uh, is it? Uh, where's oh, it's on the 
again. Dakota Khan, the, the, the second hand shop. Yep, I was, I, I got Oh, uh, where is that again? I, I got there. can't remember the area, but I know how to get there. I've it's, been there. I it's went on, during it's stop I-15 on the meter line. That's, that's how I, I know. I know, I know that meter line, like the back. Hey, I, I, I'm in Nova Scotia and I carry my Passamo with me everywhere because I'm looking for a subway. I'm looking for the meter line stop in Nova Scotia. If I can get on that and get back to Tokyo, uh, I'm I'm there. I would have. To I don't know what the I don't know what the transit system in Nova Scotia is like, but every time I go back to Toronto for a visit, I'm like, oh god, I miss Japan already. Oh yeah, <laughs> this it's, is so bad compared to to Tokyo and to like Japan in general. Yeah, the the transit system here is uh, it's okay, but it's not the Tokyo subway system. No, very few things are. Uh, before we end up uh, end end the show, I want to do some trivia sure. with you. Uh, Mavs. So I'm going to talk. I'm going to ask you what number one so and so was. I'm going to also there's also a wrestling component to this. I'm going to ask you who the various champions are of different companies. Okay. Uh, are at this point. Oh. Uh, so first question is what is the number one song in August of uh, August seventh, nineteen ninety four? Number one song August seventh. Billboard charts, by the way. So ninety four. Okay. I am thinking. Hmm. Okay. Is it Achy Breaky Heart? It is not Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. It's a it's a female singer. Okay. All right. Ninety. She wears glasses. Okay. No, it's 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 escaping me. Give me give me one more hint. It's uh, uh so she wears glasses. Uh. It's it's a it's a really popular song. I think you would probably know it as soon as I say it. Probably okay. Probably. Uh, so it's "Stay." I missed you by Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories. Oh, okay. Yep, that was that's okay. Yep. Uh, what's the number one album on the Billboard charts of at uh, around this time in 1994? 94. Oh my God. Um, hmm. It's a soundtrack. I'll give you that. It's a soundtrack. Yeah, all right. I, Batman Forever was 96. Uh, okay. Soundtrack, 94. Yes. August. Alat, uh, no, Lion King, Lion King. Yes, you're right. It's the Lion King soundtrack. Awesome. You are so far the first person to get any music trivia really? correct on, on, on Cruel Summer. Thank you. Congratulations. Yay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, what's the number one movie at the box office in August of 1994? 94. Um, Lion King. Not the Lion King. It's it's not an animated movie. It's a it's Jurassic Park. Action thriller. No, Jurassic Park was 93. Um, okay. 94. August. Come on. Think about grade six. Come on. Think about grade six. Um, oh. It stars an actor who's playing like his, I would say, his third or fourth signature role. Okay. Um, 94. Die Hard. Not, not Die Hard. It's, uh, it's Clear and Present Danger starring uh, Harrison Ford. Ah, okay. And oddly enough, uh, 1993, uh, August 1993, he also had the number of movies. The number one movie with the fugitive. So I think maybe Harrison Ford is actually Mr. August and not Masahiro Chono. Not Masahiro Chono. 
I'm we'll not. Find out I, in I didn't. Ki- I didn't kill my wife. I don't care. That's right. That that's a great movie. Oh, it's an amazing movie. Still holds up. Uh, it does hold up very well. It's, I think it's better than Clear and Present Danger. I I was never a big fan mm. of Harrison Ford as Jack Ryan. Yeah, so those movies never really renaissanced. Renaissanced. Renas. Yeah. Help me out here, Maps. Never renaissanced. Were you? Yes. I think you know what? what Fugitive. Fugitive's a movie that when it's on, you have to stop and watch. And Tommy Lee Jones is phenomenal in it. He's great in it. Uh, there's like a cameo from Julianne Moore, who's an actress I really enjoy. Uh, it's a great cast. Mm-hmm. And uh, like Harrison Ford is really, really good in there as well. But let's let's move on with the trivia. Let's go to wrestling. Perfect. Who is the IWGP heavyweight champion in August of 1994? August of 94. The heavyweight champion is... Okay. Fujinami? It's not Fujinami. It's one of the three musketeers. Okay. It is... Jeez. All right. Um, Hashimoto? It's, it is Hashimoto. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who are the IWGP heavyweight tag team champions at this point? Tag champs at this point. Jesus. Um, I'll say Hellraisers. Yes, you are correct, sir. It would be the Hellraisers. Uh, let's move over to uh, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Who is the Triple Crown champion at this point? Oh, man. I'm, I have no idea. <laughs> It is is an American. It's an American very well known for working in all Japan. Okay. Um, all Japan, American. Uh, honestly, I, I would I wouldn't even know where to begin. It's uh, Doctor Death, Steve Williams. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> that's definitely that's definitely an American who worked extensively in Japan. That's correct. Uh, uh, who is the WWF champion? In August of 94. 94, Bret Hart. That is correct. Our fellow Canadian, Bret Hart. Yeah. Uh, who is the WCW world champion? Uh, is that Hogan? It is Hogan. You're doing very well. I think you're like leading the, the scoreboard as far as trivia goes on on, uh, on Cruel Summer. It's all about that Lion King. Point. It's all about the Lion King. You, that's, I don't think anyone's going to beat you for like guessing the number one album of August of whatever year. Recovering yeah. and uh, final trivia question: Who is the ECW champion at this point? Ninety-four. Okay, I'm gonna say this is the part. I'm gonna. Oh, is this before or after? Uh, he he looked up. The sky said, "This is for you, Dad." And roll. Ra- Ra- Roll called every NWA champion, told them all to kiss their ass. Is it Shane Douglas? It is Shane Douglas. Wicked. You know, I, I got to say, Mavs, I think you are the trivia champion so far on on this particular show. Well, so we're, congratulations to you. We're four, we're four in and uh, 28 to go. <laughs> you, you beat John Pollock, which is really nice. hard to do sometimes with, with, with the trivia. I wow. So, that is pretty impressive. Congratulations. We, we, we shall see, like, if you can keep the... the your championship. I, I will inform you 
via Twitter and private Please. messages. <laughs> You know, How are you doing in a subsequent episode? I will. I will. Like when I think, I I'm just gonna go. When I think 1994, the only thing the 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 major things that pop into my head is OJ Simpson. I hate to say it, but especially over the um, the last little bit. I don't know if you saw the FX series, the People versus OJ no. Simpson. Oh, it was fantastic. No. Yeah, I've I'm a big. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why that trial fascinated me, but yeah, '94. I think of OJ and CNN. It was a big, it was a big story, like you know, from you know the, the yep. crime to the yep. trial. So, and and yeah. you know what? And World Cup '94. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if you're a soccer guy, but there's the um, there's really the groundwork for soccer in America, and then they have it in was it was the World Cup in Japan in '98, or was that '02? Can't remember. I, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna say it's later. Okay. Probably. Yeah. It seems like it's a more recent thing. Yeah. Happening in Japan. I mean, it, the the way soccer is going in Japan right now, it's incredible to see that sport take its growth as well. Listen, the only World Cup I remember is like I think you know, like I was working in Toronto in like uh, Little Italy area of, of Toronto, and like South Korea like knocked out Italy, and I was like, okay, I gotta get from work <laughs> to my car. Without being seen, and uh, get home safely. <laughs> I'm just joking, but that 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 I will I will confess that thought crossed my mind for a minute, uh, like a a microsecond. How am I going to get out of Little Italy right now after South Korea defeated the hopes and dreams of everyone around me? You have to understand, Toronto has a very large Italian community. So. And I lived in a very Italian-heavy neighborhood, actually, <laughs> just outside of Toronto. So I was like, okay, I'll be safe from, like, downtown Toronto through North York. But once I get back into Woodbridge, it might be a little dicey. Again. <laughs> but, it, no, it was fine. It was perfectly fine. Like, my neighbors were okay with me. So That's was, good. They, 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 they were all right with you? They were fine with me. They, they didn't want to jeopardize our, our neighborly relationship over a, a soccer game. Over soccer, no. Over soccer, you, no. Now, if you were in Italy and not Little Italy, it might have been a different story. Uh, thankfully, I wasn't there then. Yeah. <laughs> you were in Canada where everyone was pretty cool with it. Yeah. Canada's, Canada's a very cool place. Uh, I'm, I'm very happy to, you know, I'm very proud of, to call myself a Canadian. Um, so, but that, that's it for the show. Uh, Maz, before we go, I want to give you a chance to plug anything that you would like people to know about. Um, yeah, I mean, right now it's, I guess the best thing I could plug is my, uh, Twitter at Mavs Gillis. Um, weekly I'm trying to, to go live every week talking about new Japan. It's been, it was, it was tough this week due to the, uh, due to the hockey playoffs that I've been, I've been following and, and working with actually. And it, and that brings, you know what? I sent you that, um, that link today. Yes. We were talking in looking up um, info for this podcast, I dis- I found out that Chono has Chono on excursion worked in the Maritimes and worked in Nova Scotia to the point where the hockey rink I was in on Tuesday night, I watched a match where uh, my, where Chono fought against uh, Buddy Lane in the same arena back in 1988 today. It was really cool to see 
Chono in the Maritimes, and I did. I, I had no idea that he was here. And I, when I was looking on on the cage match, when you go in that cage match wormhole, I saw he he went from he went Amherst, Tokyo, and then Halifax. And I I guess that's that's the only thing I can have in common with Masahiro Chono, is he worked in Nova Scotia, worked in Tokyo, and then worked back in Nova Scotia. There's two guys in the world that have pulled off that schedule, Chono and myself. Well, we're going to have to go to Arstrist and, and, and find Masahiro Chono working the cash, and you have to tell him the story. That would I'm be... sure he will give you a free pair of leather pants with his Arstrist <laughs> band on them. If I, could, if I could just get a pair of sunglasses that look half as cool as Chono, I am, I'm all about that. Dude, that, that brand... Like super expensive. Is it? I I don't know anything. Like he treats it like like Gucci or something like that. Like I I was there. I was looking at the price. I was like, holy shit, this stuff is expensive. <laughs> I got, way out of my price range. I just I I got to go to the Chono store now. I've been to Suzuki store. I got to go to Chono store. Well, you know, uh, there's um there's one thing I love about watching old old New Japan. It's the look of the ring. Because every time I see the ring. Like in the what we saw in the '94 final, we watched reminds me of the ring they had with the toys and the figures, and I would love to have that someday. I gotta find a way to get that. The the, the toy ring. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, I'm a big so figure. We, we have to go to Totokan. Yep. Or we have to go to maybe. Have you been to Nakano Broadway? Nakano Broadway. Now, where was where is Nakano Broadway? It what's what's the line? Is it the Chua line? It's it's in an area called Nakano. Okay. Uh, it, basically, the way I describe Nakano Broadway to people is: imagine everything about Akihabara, mm-hmm. but condensed into one building. Wow. Okay, I'm in. Okay, I'm so in. we'll go to Nakano Broadway someday. I'm in there for sure. I um, I saw a couple albums when I was out there too. I need to get the album of uh, Fujinami's Dragon Suplex. That that song has to be the most bizarre wrestling theme in the world due to the fact that it sounds like it's from a 70s, 80s game show slash talk show, but instead it's Fujinami's entrance. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Uh, I think I do. It, my, my mind is so like filled with other non, like utter nonsense yep. that I, I, I had, once I hear it, okay, I know what you're talking about. Um, yeah, that's definitely a, like a Totokan. Like okay. uh, a trip, probably it's probably the best place would be, well, place to look. Probably the best chance we have of finding it. If not, we'll go to Nakano Broadway. We'll we'll look there. We will go uh, not. They they have actually have a, a wrestling theme store, among like other things like toys, anime, uh, like tons of tons of nerd stuff basically. If awesome. you are what we call a weibo or an otaku, you will love Nakano Broadway. Okay, I'm in, um, I'm in for sure. And so, where are, are we going to be hearing you in the, the near future on New Japan World? Uh, Can you tell us that? Just you know, wait, you know, waiting for the big call from uh, from the office. I mean, Kevin Kelly does such a, a great job with New Japan Pro Wrestling English. So, whenever he needs a, whenever he needs a sub, whenever he needs a break, I'm ready to get on the plane and head over to Japan. And uh, yeah, you know, I'd love to love to work with him as well someday. But yeah, it's just. You know, in that young lion life, waiting for the opportunities to head over. And I was told, we'll have you back soon. So I'm always ready to hop on that 
13-hour flight from Toronto to Tokyo. Awesome. And so I want to, you know, thank you for coming on to this show. I really appreciate it. I was, like, not sure if you would, like, you would say yes. Like, I thought I'm going to, you were on my short list of, like, people I wanted to do this show with. And so I appreciate it. Thank you for so much for coming on and doing a, uh, Cruel Summer with me, episode four, uh, Power Warrior versus Masahiro Chono Mass. Man, it's great. Anytime, man. I'd lo- love to love to hop aboard and we could talk uh, talk New Japan Pro Wrestling and or just anything in general. I'm always uh, always willing to chat. Okay, next time we'll plan our entire itinerary for uh, the time we eventually meet up in person. I like that. As long as if it involves some Melon Fanta, I'm in as well. You can't get that here, and I love that stuff. You're like the second person I know, and the other person is, is British, who loves Melon Fanta. I, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm more of a traditional soda person. I like I like Coke Zero. I right. like Lemon Coke here. I like Coke Plus. Um, and I'm a big fan of like different like teas, like Ocha and Mugi Cha and Oolong Cha. Those are my kind of drinks to go to. But um, yeah, thank you. Thank you again, Mavs, for coming on. Well, hopefully we'll have you on in a, a future show. Maybe not of this particular series, but in something secret i'm working on for you know a follow-up to cruel summer which i won't talk about right now but we'll, we'll hopefully have some news about that in within you know probably before the end of the year uh, thank you to listeners thank you for listening and i'll see you all next episode bye